Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about the first in a two-part series that we're doing about confession. So today, we're going to start out talking about the general confession, and then next week, we're going to pick back up talking about our um, reconciliation of a penitent. Um, And if you don't know what the difference between those two things is as you're hearing this and you're thinking, how does any of this apply to me? Don't worry, because Justin's going to... Justin's going to tell you all about everything that you need to know about the difference. Right, Justin? Of course I am. But before I I do that, let me uh, let you tell everybody, where can you find these two liturgies uh, just for reference in their prayer books? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's a good question. So when we talk about the general confession, we're talking about when everybody says together in our corporate service or, you know, like our you know, main worship service where a bunch of people are gathered together. Um, So either in our Holy Eucharist service, we say the general confession. Um, If you are in a right to congregation, then you're saying the general confession um, between the prayers of the people and, uh, and the peace. And all of that comes before we do Holy Eucharist um, or say the prayer of, of Thanksgiving. If you're saying it in the uh, daily office, um, then you're saying it at the very beginning of the service. Um, in fact, it's often the very first thing that you do in that. And um, and then the reconciliation of a penitent is actually a little bit further on in the prayer book. Um, in our you know in and is considered one of our sacramental rites. So we talked about our our major two sacraments, but the reconciliation of a penitent is considered one of our sacramental rites. Perfect. I just wanted everybody to have that backdrop. Realize just trying to keep you on your toes, make sure you're you're still hanging in there with me today. So now let's talk about confession. Let's talk about confession. So there's two components or two types of confession as as you probably just in heard when Bren described where these different pieces are in the prayer book. There's one that falls into a corporate setting. And when we say corporate, I mean in terms of let's the Holy Eucharist, we talked a lot about that on this podcast. It's planted right in there. In other words, when I say corporate, we say it together in the context of worship in the liturgy, when we're praying the liturgy together. And the Eucharist is something we don't do individually. That's something we do as some group gathered. It doesn't have to be a huge group, but there's going to be more than one person. Uh, whereas, just and we're going to come back to this, but just for example, the daily offices we talked about many weeks ago, you can recite that and pray that completely by yourself. And it also has a confession contained in it. Uh, and we'll come back to that, but just by way of an example. Now, individual confession, um, you're going to keep hearing me say we're going to talk about this later. We are, but I need to lay this out. Individual confession and reconciliation of a penitent is where we lay out our personal stuff, if you will. So there's these kind of three three arcs, and for part one for today, I really want to focus on just where we why we have the confession liturgy and the corporate side of confession. And I think the simple answer to the first question is, if you I think the placement of it in the liturgy kind of answers the question somewhat. And if we think about our podcast on the Eucharist, this somewhat explains what's happening as we move through the liturgy. 
if you if I could take us back many weeks when we walk through the Eucharist, you have the readings. And you have things before the readings, but I'm going to hit the big things. You have the readings, then you have the sermon, then you say the creed, and then you have the prayers of the people. And then you have the confession of sin. There's the general confession. And then immediately following it is the peace. The idea being for the confession is you can't have the confession. We can't have peace without the confession. The idea being that you, in that moment, corporately, because there's an important thing that happens in the liturgy, in the rubrics, the italics. It says silence may be kept. So you hear the, the, the presider over the liturgy or the celebrant, and in some cases a deacon, say, let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. And then the prayer book tells us we're supposed to keep silence. And it's in that silence, however brief it may be, that we conjure up the things that we know have moved us away from God. The issues we have with our neighbor our brother, our sister, uh, our friends, whomever it is. And those come to the forefront of our mind as we, as we say the words, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee um, in thought, word, and deed. And I'm reading right one language right now. And we move through that prayer with those things in the forefront of our mind. So that by the end, we've hopefully identified uh, those issues and turned them over and acknowledged them before God, which then prepares us to, to actually share the peace. Now, there is an implication in corporate confession that we hope is happening that really is picked up in private or in the reconciliation of a penitent differently. But we're hoping that you don't come every time to the Eucharist and confess the exact same thing in your mind as you're saying that prayer and then proceed to do it the next week. In other words, you don't amend your life at all. You just constantly confess. We're hopeful that you're amending your behaviors in your life, even during the, um, the work of the general confession. Does that make sense, Bryn? We're hoping that people bring to bear their, their sins, their, their, uh, their missteps, their deviations from God's desires for us. But we're also are hoping you're, essentially living into repentance. You are making amends. You're, 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 you're starting to correct where you've erred. Um, you know, sometimes I think our, our right one language is just so evocative and like really conjures up more, I don't know, more imagery and more meaning than, than sometimes we get in what seems like a pared down language. So if we, if we look at the, um, at the first general confession that's in the right one liturgy, um, we, we say that we acknowledge, not just acknowledge, but we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. And that just, I mean, that's so intense that language right there about our manifold sins and wickedness and um you know it's it's not just so the the language that that we all are probably more used to is is in our right one or right two language it's also in right one but a little bit differently um, but we just talk about you know we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. And it's, you know, it doesn't, 
I don't know that that right to language almost makes it sound like it's not so bad. Yeah, it it does. It makes almost. I agree. I agree. The the imagery in right one is so much more powerful because you can keep going in that prayer, uh, and even actually in the uh, penitential order, which I think is on mm-hmm. page three twenty for right one, it says we erred and strayed uh, from thy ways like from lost ways, sheep. Like lost sheep. I mean, that's a beautiful image of of our kind of human frailty, our human desires and passions, and this is what the uh, desert fathers talk about. You know, we've, we've brought them up several times because they, they do such a good job of teaching us. And Maximus the Confessor, for example, will, and I'm going to put, I'm not quoting him exactly, but I'll put the quote that this statement's based on in the show notes so you can see it. But he talks about the fact that confession, i.e. corporate or individual, leads to humility when we're honest about what we're doing. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. And if you think about the imagery and write one in the words it's not meant to beat you down. It's meant to acknowledge, hey, we screw up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like it happens. And we need to accept that. We don't need to hide from our screw ups. We need to own them. And it's by owning them that we free ourselves. This is what the Desert Fathers teach us. You know, they'll be the first ones to tell you don't. And, and they also tell you don't make a laundry list of all the, put it, put those feelings, just those general feelings out before God in great humility uh, in the act of confession and let yourself be released from, because now you've owned up to him. You brought him into the light. You, you've brought him out, even though God already seen them. Uh, and I think St. Mark, the ascetic talks about this, that God already knows all our, essentially all our screw ups, but it's the act of us bringing them out that bears and brings about humility and then opens the door to repentance. You're not going to repent if you can't acknowledge in other words, if you're doing something wrong and you don't acknowledge it, there's no way you're ever going to get down the road of repentance because what happens? It becomes all about you. It's all your thing. It's no, it's not you and God. It's not you and anybody else. It's you and yourself, me, myself, and I. And there lies the problem. So confession starts to chip away and open the door for that work to happen. And ideally it happens really, you know, those things happen almost in tandem. You confess and you're also working on the road of repentance um, with whatever action or activity that you've done. It's not, okay, I confessed it. Now I'm going to go and repent. Those should be happening in tandem. If our confession, this is the other thing the church fathers say is genuine. Is it a genuine confession? In other words, are you being real? Are you actually taking the time and inside corporate worship, in your mind, bringing those things forward as those words are shared, you know, as you hear these words, uh, bewail our manifold sins. What are your manifold sins in that moment? Uh, mm-hmm. What are these things? What are these misdoings, as that prayer goes on to say? And then I love how this prayer also says in right one, the burden of them is intolerable. Yeah. That's something I think we forget. I if think you are, so. If you're weighted down with sin, it's hard to do a lot of things. Because you're constantly just having to manage so much burden. But I think too that it's easy to ignore the burden. You know, it's like a it's like if you have a, you know, pebble in your shoe, it hurts at first and then you just get used to it. And you don't, you know, it doesn't even bother you anymore. Meanwhile, it's still burrowing its way into your skin and forming a blister and, you know, all of these things that are damaging to you our sin can be that way too and we don't always experience it as a burden um 
but but we should, you know, I mean, at least from time to time, we should be able to sort of unpack that burden and see, you know, even sometimes maybe we don't realize the weight of it until we've tried to lift it off of our shoulders. And, and then we're able to feel, you know, because the other side, and we'll definitely want to talk about this, the other side of confession is forgiveness. That's when we get to take that weight off. That's when we get to feel the, the relief of that burden. So we don't just, you know, we don't just talk about this burden because it's a, it's a, you know, nice illustration, but because it's something that we want to get rid of. Yeah. And I think it's really, um, it's really powerful. Uh, and C.S. Lewis is the great divorce. This isn't strictly about confession, but if we think about the great divorce, which these two images that C.S. Lewis does of heaven and of quote unquote hell. And if you look at the people down in hell waiting for the bus, you have to read the book for all this to make complete sense. Such a good I'm doing, book. I'm doing a general overview. All the people that are kind of down there or over there, I won't say it's down, well, they're kind of down there because the bus goes up, but it's not what you think of, but they're completely isolated in their own selfishness. Mm-hmm. And the more selfish they get, the further from the bus stop. And the bus stop's important because the bus is what transports people between, uh, what transports people from hell to heaven. Um, and they have an opportunity to make decisions up there. And that's that whole book is based off of some good early church theology, um, some of which was very uh very um, controversial at the time of the writers in the early centuries of the church. Um, we don't have time to get into that, but just so you kind of have a backdrop for that book. And I think that's important because you get so self-absorbed and you're right, Brent, it's easy just to totally live with your kind of burdens. You don't, they don't feel intolerable. You don't realize you're getting an infection from the stone in your shoe that's now burrowed through your skin and is uh-huh. setting, you know, setting up inside your foot. And the damage that it's doing, you just kind of, we're really good at compartmentalizing things. And, or we're good at doing, a, here's what we're really good at doing, and particularly in, in group settings. Well, I'll do it if they do it. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll confess if they confess, as if our confessions are all yoked together somehow, especially when there's wrong between two individuals, especially two individuals in the same community, whether it be a church or a group or whatever it is. A lot of times we, we want to hold on. And again, we don't realize that confession is, yes, can be done in a corporate setting, but we each individually bring to bear our thoughts and feelings. But I do think there's an interesting thing I want to say right here, though, that part of the work that's happening in a corporate confession is confession on behalf of God's people mm-hmm. as well. That, that's why, I mean, that's why it is a general confession. There's the individual that we've been really talking about for the last few minutes. But there is a, I mean, dare I say, the church, what has the church done that we, the people in the church, are confessing as a group what, we, what we've done? You know, things we've done and left undone, things we, you know, you go well, on and on. We've talked about this in, in so many of our conversations that what we do in our liturgy is done on behalf of the world, you know, for... Um, and we we referenced Alexander Schmemann, a favorite of of ours. Um, his one of his great books is called "For the Life of the World," and uh, we should put that in the show notes, just the title, in case people want to check that out. Um, 
but you know, the point that he makes in that and that we, that we point to throughout the liturgy is that these things that we're doing are for the life of the world. And in fact, as Christians, one of the things that we believe we are called to do is to work for, um, for the good of all people, even non-Christian people. Um, and so we're also confessing the sins of the whole world, uh, not just the sins of the church, um, which are great in and of themselves, but you know, we're asking God to forgive human humankind um, all of their sins. Um, but I wanted to go back to something that you were talking about, how we sort of, um, you know, we can all be complicit in sin, you know, that like, it's not so bad if we're all doing it together, or, um, you know, maybe we look the other way, um, you know, you, you ignore my sin, I'll ignore your sin. Um, the fact that we have this general confession where we all do this work together is also an explicit acknowledgement that sin often happens in corporate settings. Um, and that sin is, a is yes, sometimes there is individual sin that really you just, you know, perpetrate on your own. But so often the sin that that we are guilty of is sin that happens um, with the help of other people or that we are complicit in um, helping other people with their sins. And in fact, you know, we just, we just talked about Ash Wednesday recently and we just had Ash Wednesday services recently. And in our Ash Wednesday service, you know, one of the things that we do is this, um, this uh, penitential, um, this litany of penitence. And in, in that litany, we talk about all of the ways that we are um, guilty together in, in sinning against God. Um, and that's important. I mean, that's important to remember that. And that kind of goes back to what we've been saying all throughout this whole season of this podcast we are connected in a common, our common bonds of humanity unite us in the best of ways and in the worst of ways. We can prop each other up and support each other in the good work of the gospel, we could say, generally speaking. We can also support each other in some work that's counter to the gospel narrative, and to your point. And we can't forget that. This kind of isolationist idea that has popped up at different points in human history really the reason I think it's fizzled out in different at different times is because we can't be isolated. We're, we are communal beings. God created us the fabric of humanity in such a beautiful way so that we can inter, interact with one another. But that also gives the that also points to the possible pitfalls of being connected, and that is being able to sin together, support each other in our sins. You know, I I take it. Um, I had a friend, and this is a really weird and roundabout example, but I want to share it. Um, in college, I had a couple friends who were um, trying to give up smoking. This is when smoking was pretty prevalent back in my back in my day. I'm at that age now, Brent. Back in my day, but then this other friend, this third friend, so two friends were trying to give up smoking. This third friend. Um, was like, well, I'm going to support you, but I'm only going to, I'm not going to give up completely. I'm just going to cut back. But he, every time 
he was going to have. So he cut back. He truly did cut back. And the other two really, to tell you the good news is they did give up smoking. They actually made it. But the one friend who cut back constantly smoked in front of them the few times that he would. And that was so difficult. And there were so many moments where the other two caved because of that. And they were trying to give up this vice that they knew was harmful for their bodies. And this other, this third friend, not on purpose, just wasn't thinking like, hey, this could be really tempting to these folks. Kind of precipitated them falling off the wagon. Um, and that's kind of how we, that's how what we all have the possibility of doing with those around us. It, when we, especially as it relates to what God invites us to consider with our lives and what we do, we can bring people down the path. And this, they talk about this in the early church, right? Like there's a great story of, uh, and this is in, Rowan Williams captures this in his book, Where God Happens. Abba Poman uh, is invited. So this is a guy who lives in the desert. Um, and he uh, was very revered by all these people trying to learn to be as righteous and as holy as him. Humble guy. Well, some people in a community, in the other part of the community of the desert, invite Abba Poman. They say, come on, you need to confess. You need to come judge these two sinners. So Abba Poman fills up a bucket of water has a hole in the bucket and they start off and it's just leaking water. And these two, uh, these two kind of um, postulants, if you will, from this other community, are like Abapoman, your bucket's leading water. And he's like, well, if I don't confess all my sins between here and there, there's no way I can sit in judgment of another human being. And they're like, okay, we don't need you. <laughs> and they literally, they, they parted ways and Abapoman went back. The point being, Abapoman will go on to write uh, about that scenario and say, who am I to judge because I'm someone who can bring people down if I don't get myself right and lead people appropriately? And I think that's where confession comes into play. It's how we get ourselves right again. It's how we get ourselves back in the, in the right direction, um, whether we do it in the corporate setting or whether, like we were talking, like I was talking about earlier in the daily office, if you're praying that every day by yourself, that's, your, that's an entry point for you to do some, some confessing when you get to that part of the liturgy, when you get to that part of the prayer is to really stop because you have that luxury when you're praying by yourself, you can actually stop where it says silence all throughout morning and evening prayer and really focus on that part, how that part speaks to your life and what that means for your life. Uh, and I think that's so important. And it's sometimes it's in those moments that we realize the heaviness and that maybe there's some more intentional work we have to do, um, which is part of what we're going to talk about next week. When you're, when you're sitting in that moment of confession and you're going, I got some heaviness and I need to, I need to do something. I need, I need, I'm not feeling, I'm not getting that release that I'm looking for. I'm not getting, and then we need to, that's when we need to, that's when reconciliation of a penitent will hopefully pop in your mind after we talk about it. But you see, so there's these three things constant or two things constantly at work. There's the, the general corporate side and then there's the individual very much interwoven into that. Um, and they have to be. It's it's designed that way, uh, if that makes sense. Did I just go off on a tangent? No, kind I of. think that was I think that was really good. Um, you know, I I I think, you know, it it you. I think it's worth making the point that the sin that we confess and that we really that we don't just confess, but that we really repent of, is sin that has to be has to be found out in our own lives. You know, somebody can't just point point it out for us. 
Um, in that way, you know, I've talked before um, about sin as a self-diagnosed illness that, you know, it's somebody else, you know, calling you a sinner isn't really very helpful um, in you making amends in your life or you deciding that the, the sin that you are carrying around really is an intolerable burden. Um, but when you feel it yourself, when you feel the burden of it, it itself, then you can repent of that in a, in a different way. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the true confession that, that I think we're invited into and that the church invites us into. And I think, you know, there's the story from the gospels about the woman who is caught in adultery and, you know, and they bring Jesus to, you know, to pass judgment. And he, you know, he points out to all of these, um, these holy and righteous people, you know, let, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And he bends down and he writes something and he gets back up and they're all gone. And he says to the woman, where, you know, basically, where have your accusers gone? And she says, they, you know, they're gone. They're not here. And he says, you know, go, go in peace, sin no more. Um, and I think that's the, that's the great dilemma, right? I mean, that story, and that story illustrates so much about humanity that is, that is so, can be so bad, <laughs> can be so bad. I mean, it's just, I mean, I can go on. I just, just opened up a whole bunch of the story of the Pharisee in the temple saying, thank God I'm not that guy, mm -hmm. pointing to the tax collector. And then the tax collector over there beating his breast saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. With no clear litany of what he's, he's done wrong, you know, and I think the great, the great dilemma of our day is, and it's been true of all throughout the church's history, Christian history is we, we fall into the trap of assuming somehow we're a little bit more righteous than they, whoever they are in our world, mm -hmm. that they're somehow outside of the bounds because they keep sinning. And we, well, we keep sinning too, but our sin isn't as bad. <laughs> so, you know, and this is the, but ultimately what, what I find most fascinating is um, you don't get necessarily, well, I won't, I, won't, I won't go that far. I'm gonna walk myself into a trap. I'll tell you what I was gonna say, but it's a trap. It's a trap, and it's not totally accurate. But if you if you're not careful, Scripture in he, in the Old Testament you have the law. And then when Jesus comes in and embodies the law, you don't have all of the same clear cut things that are quote unquote right and quote unquote wrong. All of a sudden, Jesus says, "Here's two big things, and all that stuff we taught you before needs to fall under and be understood under these two big things." So all of a sudden, sin. It's a little bit trickier to understand or not because what Jesus says in some sense is very simple. The words are very simple to hear. It's very hard to live into. Very yeah. simple to hear, very hard to live into. Um, and I think that's important when we, when we want to get on our righteous horse and say, somehow I'm, I'm better than they. So I'm going to sit in judgment of them. It goes back to Abipoman. Abipoman was never going to sit in judgment. Maybe he made it to that village. He was never going to sit in judgment of those folks knowing Abipoman and what he writes, what people write about him. He would have given them a long sermon on humility and the need for everybody to confess and everybody to uh, get right with God and with each other. 
because that's ultimately what it's about is how do we get right with God and get right with each other? And confession is the doorway into that. We do it corporately and we do it on behalf of the world and then we do it individually um, as well. And it's so important. I mean, the work of confession, it's such a small part of the liturgy on Sunday morning. I say Sunday morning when the, when the Eucharist is celebrated, but yet that little, that short little prayer, whether you do right one or right two, it's so important that we we actually do it and say it and pray about it and pray through it and and put our confession out there because it's in that act that we start to find freedom, real freedom, freedom in God um, to be again to return back to the people God's called us to be. Well, in the the most powerful way that we experience that freedom is when we when we are released from from the burden of it. Um, but if we don't know what burdens we're carrying, that God is is waiting, that God has promised to forgive us for, we don't know what those burdens are, then we can't set them down and we don't get to really experience that liberation. So we're forgiven our sins. We're, we're guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins. Um, but unless we unless we do some of that real work of self-examination, um, then, you know, then will we feel liberated? Will we feel relief from that? In some ways, you know, you can think about it as like rewarding ourselves for spotting our sin. Um, you know, there's, there's real incentive, actually. Our theology sort of points this out. There's real incentive for us to to name our sin, to find out those places where it's hiding in our lives and to do what we can to amend it um, because there is great relief in that. Um, but so, you know, theologically, we really are encouraged to, to find our sin in a more specific way, not just in this, this general way. Um, so when we talk about general confession, that might seem like you know, we we just confess in a kind of general and non-specific way as though our our confession is hypothetical, you know, for the things we might have done wrong um, or the things we might have left undone. Um, when we can get a little more specific about it, um, there can be a real powerful experience of relief and release and freedom and liberation from that. Um, which is really what we're going to get into next week um, and be able to talk a little bit more specifically about in our conversation um, about reconciliation of a penitent. And we'll talk about, you know, what is that right? Um, who is it for? Um, who can participate in it? How do you prepare for it? Um, and so we'll get we'll get more specific, um, you know, going from the general confession to this um, this right of, of reconciliation. Um, as we continue in our second part of this. So do join us next week. That's a perfect, that's a perfect place for us to start, stop with part one. Um, so join us next week and we'll pick up Reconciliation Repentant, pick this conversation up. Uh, do note the show notes, as we talked about earlier, there's going to be several book uh, references, quotes um, for you that you heard us mention so that you can do further reading. And again, as I always say, write to us, ask us questions. We're happy, especially during this week. If there's things you really are, are wondering about, send them to me or Bryn and mm -hmm. we'll pick them up. Um, 
uh, next week in next week's episode when we pick up part two of confession as we focus uh, and drill down more into the reconciliation of a penitent. So until next time, have a great week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.